live in Summerlin. It's Cofield and Company from the Rampart Race and Sportsbook. Here we go, 5 o'clock hour. Adam Hill, Steve Cofield, Rampart is the spot. Ari's back in our Finley Toyota Studios. Angel's helping us out on the scene. Later on, we're going to check in with one of our AFC West experts, get his take on the Raiders. Might be higher on the Raiders than many of the people on our own radio station. Seren Petro will also talk Chiefs. Oh, boy. The sad demise of the Kansas City Chiefs, which, by the way, is a complete joke. I sent that out last night on Twitter before a podcast, and you get some KC fans who are like, got this, got this guy. I'm like, all right. Um, during our podcast last night, I started to look at the updated AFC West odds, and I'm like, Chiefs to win the division, minus 105. Bet. My stupid? It's great value. Come on. It's, it's three games into the season. Still my uh, and what are they are they gonna go they're gonna go nine and eight this year? Really it's kind of two games in. Right? If, if you think of in in terms before of a sixteen game schedule, there's an extra game this year. Oh yeah. So it's really two it's like two point one or whatever if you do the math on it, it's basically two games into what would be a normal season. So I, yeah, I'm not I'm not panicking yet. Now their schedule is pretty tough. And they do have you know, our two games behind already against two teams, but I have confidence that the teams are going to turn it around. Battleborn Injury Lawyers presents the Big Five at Five, number five. Adam Hill, you are everywhere around Las Vegas when it comes to sports. What's the deal? Where were you today? It's a sore subject. UNLV practicing basketball side of things. First media availability. The place was packed. A lot of excitement. Walk into the gym. There's multiple Krugers there. It was, I'll, I'll just. I, this is not any commentary. Maybe it is. Um, there was a different vibe of openness. Sure. Around the program today, I don't know if that means you know the results are going to be great this year. Uh, but Kevin Kruger even said he got done with his media session and he's like, "Everyone, come down as much as you want." Oh, good like, enough. Wow, okay. I'll be there a lot. I, I plan on being there today. I actually agreed to do a podcast at eleven, and then I was going to go straight over. And it went long. It started late. They called late. Went long. I was like, ah, okay. Um, it's you know, it was the first access to practice. I posted some videos. I'll post more later. As we've talked about, the team is much bigger, much more size. Very athletic with the size, and then a bevy of guards, anywhere from you know six foot up to, I don't know if Donovan Williams, the kid out of Texas, is a wing player, and he was practicing in drills on the wing with the wing players. He's got to be six eight. And the athleticism is through the roof. Now they got to all come together and they got to do it quickly. But, you know, there's a good energy around UNLV basketball, and they're like 41 days away from the first game against Gardner Webb. The new Chris Wood? Who, Donovan Williams? Yeah. I don't know about that. <laughs> it's a good tall wing player. Stretch, as they call him. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, he's got a, he, he was a very high level recruit. He's going to be very, you know, very uh, valuable guy in this team. Let's, let's let it play. It was, it, was, it was a drill, and there was some dunking. Let's not. Chris Wood was pretty damn good. Don't don't tell UNLV fans that. Oh, I know it's public enemy number old, one old when he was here. Subject. Well, the, the, you know one of the happiest things to see out of practice today is Marvin Coleman is back. He was a walk on. He got on scholarship. He's been the leader on the floor. You know, last couple of years. Well, he got he got hurt last year. He had multiple leg injuries. He was out there. He looked healthy. I got a chance to grab him for a couple of minutes and you know started off the conversation, basically just saying, hey, you know. What do you think? This is cool. First UNLV uh, basketball practice that we get a look at, and Marvin Coleman is back. And that's exciting to hear right there. Yeah, How fired up are you? Yeah. Oh, I'm 100% fired up. Uh, this is my fourth year, and the first official practice is always very exciting. And it's very exciting this year because we got new 
nine new guys and they're all experienced, they're all older. So it's just a lot of knowledge on the court. So I'm looking forward to it a lot. So how are you doing health-wise? Health-wise, I'm good. I've been cleared for probably about two, three months now. And, you know, just getting back into the swing of things, getting back into new sets and stuff like that. Uh, it's different, but I'm feeling good. What was the last year like for you? I mean, first of all, you're dealing with health issues. Then you can't play, and, you know, the team clearly needed some point guard help. Uh, definitely, it was a mental battle. Um, just watching my team lose, going out. That was the first time I had, I had ever been away from basketball for a long period of time, you know, besides, like, rolling an ankle or something like that. And then to have two major surgeries was, you know, tough for me. Um, my mental health was obviously struggling a little bit, but I got back into the swing of things when uh, recovery started coming back. It just made things a lot easier. Marvin Coleman's with us here on ESPN Las Vegas on Cofield and Company. So Kevin Kruger moves over a couple of chairs. So talk about what he's like in terms of being a little bit different as the head coach. Well, Kruger, the thing that I like about him, he played here. He made it to the Sweet 16, so he knows a lot more than another uh, coach, you know. Always having a player as a coach is one big thing for me because, like, you know, he, he's been through it. He knows exactly what to do. He was a point guard here. So, you know, playing for him is a lot easier in a way. But, you know, his energy is contagious. So just being behind him is a big thing. It's going to sound like a silly question, but why is getting transfers in from Power 5 schools, you know, bigger, stronger guys, why is that important? It's important because, you know, they're already at the top of the top college basketball you know so they're playing against those guys that are making it to the tournament you know things like that every game for them is a battle there's no games off you know the mountain west is it's a better conference but we have like you know some off games that if you don't play to your fullest you can get beat so those guys just know what to expect know what to bring to the table and can elevate our energy so it was a crazy offseason you're picking up all these transfers some guys you don't know and then the final cherry on top and it's a, a big deal bryce coming back i have no idea if you even talked to him during the offseason but give me your reaction to bryce the leader and a, just a great natural scorer coming back oh that was big time i mean bryce is like one of my best friends we've been here for four years so i mean i was talking to him the whole process i was just trying to you know stay in his ear like bro come back come back because he's my roommate too <laughs> so i was like you know in his ear but obviously you know he had to make the best decision for himself his family and his future um but you know it was just music to my ears knowing that he came back there he is marvin coleman henderson guy back hopefully healthy the entire season they've got some point guard depth with uh I didn't, I'm not ranking them, but, you know, another one of the, I was going to say the fourth of the Big 12 transfers. They've got a transfer from Oklahoma, from Texas, from West Virginia, and now I just blanked on the other one. Two from Texas, actually. Yeah, because yeah. Royce Ham and uh, Donovan Williams from Texas, so. It's, it's a lot of unknowns about the team. I think there's a lot of reason to be excited about the guys that they brought in. And you'll see how the mix turns out as they start well, to practice more. I'm not saying Kevin Kruger in his first year as a head coach is Chris Beard or – must bus but that is the way those guys do things again i don't know if it'll work i think it will but it's not as unusual as you think to read to basically turn over like 75 80 percent of your roster it happens now oh yeah and kevin knows how things go unlike other coaches what does that mean just quoting marvin coleman what did, I, what did he say how did i miss it i mean i i took it as a shot at altelberger i i don't know i, th I don't think i i don't think i picked up on it can you, uh, maybe at the break we'll find. He said, "Was well, it a former player thing?" Yeah, a lot. Of, I mean, w one of the things I heard repeatedly is Kevin understands UNLV and the expectations. Yeah, for sure. And I, I, if that's what they were saying, I do think there was a lack of understanding. By I like Marvin Menzies a lot. I thought T.J. Altsberg could have done a good job here, but I do think coaches come in and they don't realize everything that goes into UNLV basketball and it hasn't been at the level that people expect it to be at and that's why the fan following has dropped off and it's also I know you hate this but it is also part of the job 
like getting people back in there, whether it's winning or marketing or being available, or as Kevin Kruger said, everyone come down. I'm a little more boisterous than, than he was when he said it, but fan, the fans need to be fired up about the program. If you're just like, ah, they'll come. Like, no, they won't. Not now. I mean, Not I, the way it is. And I think it is different in pro and college. Like, I, I know, like, some of the attitude maybe around the Golden Knights is, hey, fans are mad. Just win. <laughs> They'll get over it. Uh, it but it, I don't but know if it's the same it's, in college. But it is different because they've had a lot of success. Sure. Um, with come on, I don't want to rehash history going all the way back to TKM and, and Dave Rice, but you know, there's a lot they gotta they gotta make up for, and there's a lot more competition now. Yeah. To come out to the games, people, you know, they only have so much time. Well, you so look like look at. I mean, you talked you talked earlier about like all the stuff going on just today, practices all over town, and you know, you know, football, you know, basketball, the Golden Knights, like everything's going on. Think about what happened this weekend. There was a UFC event. There was a Raiders game at home. There was a NASCAR event. There was a Golden Knights game. That was this weekend. And that was not like some special weekend. These are happening all the time now. These weekends are happening all the time. So if you want to get attention, like, yeah, it's not just winning. If you're UNLV, it's winning and building bridges of the community and, you know, building back some of the fans that you lost. And all, the, all those other things have to be done. The PR work has to be done in addition to just winning. There is a lot more competition. Number four. So how bad could this NBA thing get with the uh, vac situation? Most of the league is vaccinated, but some pretty big stars are not. We already heard blow, uh, you know, heard of blowback in their home arena, in their home city. You're not allowed into a large gathering without being vaccinated. So we're talking about guys like Kyrie Irving and Wiggins and Bradley Beal. And now it looks like the NBA is going to go with the policy that if you don't play in a game because you're not allowed to because you're on vax, you ain't getting paid yeah. for that game. Are, do you think there are? Do you think there are some players who are going to be like, I still don't trust it. I got to do my research, and I want to fight for freedom. I will give up my paycheck. Yeah, and as I said yesterday, I think if you're going to do research and find things that we should know, I think you should share that. I think it shouldn't be that's a private matter. Like you, you found out something that we need to know. I think how many? How many will stick with it? Is my question. I think is this is because the NFL. Well, listen, the NFL, you know, basically said without saying it, we're going to make life very difficult for you. Yeah. The, the NFL didn't say, you're not getting paid. Well, yeah, you could play games, right? And that's that was the difference. And think about where the cities are. The Giants and Jets don't play in New York uh, City. Uh, the 49ers don't play in San Francisco, city proper. So th- they didn't have the issue. Like, the issue here, and they're also outdoors, which is different. Um, the issue here is that it's local jurisdictions and, and how it goes. But, but I will say, the NFL did, you know, they did put all the protocols in place, and a lot of players who said they absolutely would not then said, okay, I will. Like, I'll, I'll get it because I because you forced me into it, which leads me to believe whatever research they came up with actually was kind of junk because why wouldn't why would you get it? Right, just we get it, it on the research. But the, the, in this case, I, I will go another direction and say I, I, I saw a comment yesterday, I wish I remember who it was from, from the, in the NBA, who said something very, I think, poignant and telling to me. And I do want to say, we have focused so much the last couple of days about what, you know, these NBA players who have not, right? How about looking at the NBA as a model and saying 100% of staffers, 100% of coaches, 100% of referees, over 90% of players are vaccinated. That is, that's a model that society should look at as a positive and say, hey, look, good job, NBA. You're not there yet. Why are we spending all this attention on the holdouts and not saying, hey, good job? Which I think we should we should do. We should take time and say, hey, good work. 
by you know getting making everybody safer. Now there's a couple holdouts that they're still working on, but let's get there. Number three. I am not a PTI guy. I don't even know if this happened on PTI. <laughs> Apparently there's some war between Michael Wilbon and, and Lane Kiffin. What do we have here, Ari? The answer is Alabama yeah. because of Lane Kiffin. There's nothing to be proud of if you're a college footballer or any other sport but Lane Kiffin. Lane Kiffin's a clown. Lane Kiffin has been an embarrassment at multiple stops. I mean, nobody's going to run out there and say, yeah, I want Lane Kiffin right here on the logo representing me. The answer's Alabama, Tony. Lane Kiffin's a cute little story for guys like us who have to talk about sports every day, and we can come in Monday and say, ha, 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 Lane Kiffin. Once again, Lane Kiffin equals embarrassment at some point wherever he is. What do you think? I think this is a it's a bit unfair to Wilbon, although he chose to be on the show. I think this is take a side and he's like, Alright, I'll take this side and argue it. Oh, I don't you you think that was fake? Yeah. I think that's a guy who's outside the situation who believes that Lane Kiffin is an easy punching bag. Maybe. And I guess also didn't think it through that Kiffin would fire back. Sure. And so what you heard there and you could tell that is somebody recording off T V. And they immediately went on Twitter and just tagged Lane Kiffin. Hey, what do you think of PTI today? Which, okay, good, I guess. Uh, Lane Kiffin then decides to fire back. He retweeted it uh, with, wow, you're mad. Uh, and then he went on to say, and also, way to go on a limb and pick the number one team in the country at home who is a huge favorite. How long did you watch film to come up with that surprise pick? Really newsworthy, Captain Obvious. Like, okay, well, that's, that's silly. I kind of like it. I mean, it's fine, but Wilbon Wilbon's <laughs> developed a reputation as a dish it but, uh, but can't take it guy. Sure. So he's had very many beasts when people call him on the carpet, and then he, he then he goes even more nuclear. Right, and so we'll see what he, if he fires back at Lane Kiffin now too. Uh, it, it, the whole thing is is kind of silly, but this is isn't this your thing with Robin Leonard? Like, why are you reacting to people on Twitter? Well, this is you know it's funny. This is a whole discussion that Candy and I got into with athletes and coaches reacting to stuff, you know, reacting to narratives, firing back. And on Monday, I, I, I think his basic take was like Gruden and Ruggs need to let it go that they got blasted last year. And I'm like, yeah, I don't know if that's that easy. I think they have the right to fire back. Do I think it's productive, like, you know, doing it a, a year from now, four weeks from now, eight weeks from now? Like, no, at some point I think you should let it go. But it's not fair for, like, well, part of my other side of this would be with Leonard and with Kiffin and with Gruden and with Ruggs, you're punching down. So don't punch down. Well, like you're just getting involved in something. But it's na- it's a natural you know, human instinct to freaking, if you're getting attacked, to fight back. But didn't Ruggs actually kind of handle it in the right way, if you're going to say there's a right or wrong way, in that a comment was made on a podcast after last year's game against the Dolphins. He never mentioned it, never said a word about it, went out, beat the guy this year, and made a couple of nice plays over him. After the game said, hey, stuff was said, and I got my revenge on the field, and I'm not even going to say what was said. Now, I went back and found it, um, or at least what I think it was, and put it out there. But Henry Ruggs still has not confirmed that that's what his his, angry was, his anger was. He didn't fire back. All he did, he did post a picture of making catch over Xavier Howard this week, uh, and Howard's the one that made the comment on the on the podcast last year. But he never, he never said, hey, this is for what you said on that podcast. He just said, words were said, and I took care of it. Number two. Colorado State and Air Force could be gone from the Mountain West Conference. That would knock the conference down to 10 football teams. They could be moving on to the American Athletic Conference. What do you do if you're Craig Thompson? 
you go out and find two more schools? Are there matches? Or as one media member in Boise said, you know what, just stick with 10 teams, 10 schools, and in football, play nine conference games. Here's the problem. Because that it, absolutely that's the right answer today. What about tomorrow when four more schools are rated? Yep. That's your problem. Yep. Because I would agree, hey, look, if you could guarantee, or if you could sign some sort of, nobody's going to do it. If you could sign some deal like nobody's allowed to leave for 20 years, fine. But they're all trying to leave. They uh, they need to go out and get two more schools. I don't know who the right match is. Um, and I'll also look at it from a UNLV standpoint. To me, nine conference games would be a complete financial disaster for UNLV. All right, complete strong. But they don't need they, – they need to cap conference games at eight. They need to be able to use Allegiant and the non-con slate to make money. And also, you know, the, the teams at the bottom of the conference in UNLV is one of them. Uh, but there are a lot of teams, uh, schools in this conference that need money. They need buy games on the road. There's a lot of games that are played out of conference. They're getting, you know, 500, 750, a million, a million four. Those games matter. More games in conference ain't, ain't what you want to do. No, I, I would agree with that. Uh, but the problem is how do you, like, you go add two and you, then you look around and say, they're obviously not, you're not adding UCLA and USC, right? I mean, you're, you're adding UTEP. I mean, they're talking about UTEP, SMU, Memphis, and obviously then you're going to try to steal back from the AAC. Right, in which case are North they? Dakota State, but which actually is kind of an interesting choice. Right, but but also isn't aren't those teams in the AAC saying, we're going, our conference is better now. Like, why are we going to yours? Like, we're trying to, we're getting closer to the Power Five, not. Well, they're not They're not getting closer to the Power Five. That's what their goal is. Well, they're, they think they're getting closer. Right. And I suppose if they start adding UAB and some other schools. So, I mean, that, that the issue is, who do you add? Does it make it stronger? And how do you then deal with the fact that you are going to have some teams picked away from the Pac-12 eventually? Um, and maybe other conferences, maybe the maybe the Big 12 to try to save themselves. So that's the that's the problem that you face because ideally, yes. And, and, and the thing we've criticized Craig Thompson for is not having foresight, right? To say, oh, we've got a great league here. We're, we're, we're good. Now, all we've heard is, They'd be stupid to leave. Well, they're leaving. Yeah. Now what? Number one. We're getting ready. We're getting ready. Even here in Vegas, Brady and Belichick, the meetup is going to be awesome. There's a new book coming out about the Patriots over the last 20 years. We'll get into it more because there are more Belichick stories. Man, he's got a – there's a dark side to that dude, and he has rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. It's the Big Five at Five, brought to you by Battleborn Injury Lawyers. If you've been injured, call Justin Watkins at Battleborn Injury Lawyers, 570-9000. You're listening to Cofield and Company on ESPN Las Vegas. Rampart Sportsbook here on a Wednesday. Hang out here for the NFL games really seven days a week. They've got a great betting app. You can sign up for their mobile app. They've also got the Beat the Bookie contest. We just talked to Dwayne Colucci. Get in that, and you have a chance to uh, win a share of $2,000 in free slot play or free bets. That's pretty cool. Very cool. So there's a book out, well, at least it's on the way, by Seth Wickersham, ESPN, about the Patriots and their glory era and then the breakup of the team. And there's going to be a lot of stuff in there. Do you think, you think Brady's going to get slammed? 
There's got to be some stuff of Brady where you're like, whoa, okay. All Has right. to be. Right? Yeah. Oh, man. I mean, if this one, if this guy's got good sources and he, he has had really good sources over the years, uh, how about some Giselle stories? Oh. What a nightmare. I mean, there has to be stories about everyone. And I listen, there's 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 some teasers that have been released and they're out there. Uh, they're, they're not going to cover nearly everything that's in the book. Did Belichick get into it at one point with the man genius? Uh, your guy. Yeah, my guy. Uh, For a short time, the man genius. Apparently it happened at the uh, league meetings when Mangini was the coach of the Jets. Uh, there had been uh, some ugliness between them. Uh, and after a head coach's dinner, Julie Mangini, uh, the wife of Eric Mangini, bumped into Belichick and said hi. She was hoping to just kind of, you know, ease tensions a little bit. <laughs> and did she get a mum- the Belichick mumble back? Even less. Total snub. Totally snubbed her. And she and she went right to Mangini and said, hey, like, I tried to say hi. He totally snubbed me. And Mangini immediately flew across the room and tried to knock him out. <laughs> Which is fantastic. Why not? I mean, I like it. It's like, it's like the rant I went on earlier about the way Belichick treats certain people with the mumbling and all sorts of nonsense. Why people accept it, like... Who, he's he's a football coach. Who cares? Right. It's, it's, like, why would you let someone treat you like that? And in, in the case, hey, it's your wife, and you've already got some heat with Belichick. Like, bruh, what are you doing? <laughs> Talk about a, a – I don't even know how to describe those two. Like, fire hydrants. They're both, like, stocky guys. Oh, yeah. Just Brahma bulls just bumping into each other. Oh, for sure. Uh, there was also – Small I, sumos. I think you started to re- reference it earlier. There was uh, the – what were you mentioning? I, I can't remember. The Malcolm Butler situation, which everybody wondered why he was benched in the Super Bowl. This is amazing. Apparently, he had uh, gotten a heated debate with Matt Patricia, who was on the staff at the time. And the coaching staff was like, all right, you're not playing. And after after the game, people were like, why, why not, weren't you out of the you're field? Not, you're not playing in the Super Bowl. Yeah. After the game, teammates were like, why aren't you on the field? Those M- MFers. He's pointed at the coaches. Oh, I can't wait for this book. It's so good. Uh, if also, remember, around the 2016 presidential campaign, there was like some, like, wait, the Brady, Belichick, Kraft, they all kind of seem kind of tight with, with Trump. This is weird. Like, a lot of NFL players were not. And apparently, when Trump read the letter of recommendation from Belichick, the players essentially had a mutiny. And were like, we're out. We're not playing for this guy. We're done. And we're talked out of it. But apparently it was very close to them just not playing, which would have been mm. fantastic. The demise of the Patriots, the drama of the Patriots. We'll find out if there's any drama right now in Kansas City. Saran Petra, our buddy who does uh, radio in KC, will talk about how the uh, Chiefs have gotten off to this rotten start and probably headed towards the 6-11 and season. Cofield and company will be back in minutes right here on ESPN Las Vegas. You're listening to Cofield and Company on ESPN Las Vegas. Back here, Cofield and Company on this Wednesday at the Rampart here in the Sportsbook. Seeing some old friends hanging out around here. You guys come down to uh, every Wednesday as we were here down at the Rampart Sportsbook. I'm sure if our good friend Sarin Petro was in town, he'd be down here hanging out with us. Throwing it back, watching some games, 
You can hear him on WHB in Kansas City or on the late night happy hour, which he does every week with Cofield on Tuesday nights. How you doing, sir? I'm doing well. Of course you know I'd be there, man. Uh, I would not miss it. Of course. Uh, would you be betting on the Chiefs if you were here? That is the big question. Uh, we'll get into uh, how they look. But are you starting to get concerned about the Chiefs? Uh, no. I mean, I, well, listen, let's define concern. What, that they're not going to run away with the AFC and definitely be in the Super Bowl? Sure. I mean, I think the challenges are, are certainly greater. I think the teams around them are better. I think they've regressed, and I think that's normal. That's what's supposed to happen. Concerned like, oh, this is now a boobery, and they're going to be 4-13. and 13. Andy Reid can't coach. Patrick Mahomes, you know, is going to go Mark Rippon and, and, you know, fade away into obscurity after being an MVP and a Super Bowl champ. No, no, I don't, I don't think any of that's going on. I think you have a team. Like, would I be betting the Chiefs? Yes, I would absolutely bet the Chiefs at Philadelphia. I think they will house the Eagles. I don't think the Eagles are good, for one. But also, um, I, I think the Chiefs are still one of the best teams in the NFL. And they've, you know, had two games where they just were filled with self-inflicted wounds, turnovers. This team usually is as good as anybody at taking care of the football. Whether or not they can take it away kind of comes and goes, depending upon the year or the time of the season. Sometimes they're hot and they're taking it away. Sometimes they're not. So, I mean, I don't, I don't think you can say, like, oh, boy, this, this is just a fluke that they didn't take the ball away. They, they've got some issues on defense, and that's always been the case, right, for this team for the last – years if they can play defense then they're pretty tough to beat if they don't then you know it's going to be a boat race but you know Patrick Mahomes throws a pass to a you know a receiver who a no look pass who doesn't catch it it bounces off his hands and it gets intercepted on a diving stop he overthrows a a ball when he's trying to make a comeback his running back fumbles for the second consecutive game and he hadn't had a fumble in his entire career before that Um, you know I think a lot of things are just adding up and at the end of the day the Chargers are still having to fight for 59 and a half minutes to determine the game. So, no, I, I, I think, you know, we've, we've discussed it. I, I, listen, do you want to take a bet right now? I'll take the Chiefs. You take the Raiders. Whoever goes further, uh, you know, I'm, I'm on the Chiefs. Which, which side are you on? Uh, well, me and Steve already said earlier the Chiefs being only even money to win the division right now is preposterous, and we both said that's one of the best bets on the board. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I think we're of the same mind. Now, listen. Lay an egg, barely survive against the Philadelphia Eagles, or God forbid, lose to the Eagles, and then I think it's it's time to say, okay, we're we're, we're missing a bigger picture here. Their guys are getting old, and and Andy Reid and Steve Spagnuolo's schemes are being passed by. And yeah, you know, I think at that point there's reason for alarm. But they moved up and down the field on the Chargers at will. They just turned over. You know, they only had two fourth down plays. I mean, four four turnovers, and and the rest basically scores. Two fourth down plays, one they kicked the field goal, and the other one they punted because they were fourth and nine at their own uh, 21-yard line. So, you know, it, it's just the, their their drives would have resulted in points if they hadn't handed the ball away, and I think it would have resulted in enough to beat the Chargers. So, But, you know, it, it doesn't mean they're going to win the next one. I mean, the Chargers can play better next time, too. And, and I think the Raiders are a legit threat. We know the Raiders seem to be their kryptonite last year and beating them once and, and, and putting them on the ropes the second time. So... You know, I, I think there is, is there concern like this is no longer King Kong of the AFC West? Yeah, I think there's concern at that, that, that the Raiders and Chargers who have the quarterback uh, in place, have, have quality quarterbacking in place, uh, that could be there ready to at least, you know, maybe get a kiss from the schedule, maybe get a kiss from the injury god, and, and that will be enough to get them over the hump and stop the Chiefs' uh, five straight AFC West titles. So I have more questions on the Chiefs, but my Twitter is blowing up right now, and I look down, Salvi hit another home run? 
48, man. Good 48 Lord. tied the franchise record, yeah. 48 uh, league leader, uh, baseball's leader in home runs and RBIs. And uh, Jeff Passan tells me every week that Salvador Perez is not top three in the MVP voting. <laughs> catcher, 48. 48 homers. First American League catcher, if he, if he finishes it off, he'll be the first American League catcher ever to lead the league in RBIs, but he's not top three. Wait, 33 home runs, right? Well, 48. He's got 48 total. It's the most home runs ever by a catcher, by a guy who plays predominantly at catcher. But, yes, you're right, 33 from behind the dish uh, and then 15 uh, over at DH. He might have won at first base. Um, anyway, but, uh, but he's played more than 75% of his games at catcher. Johnny Bench, I think, had in his 45, he had 38 from catcher. Yeah. And then like five in left field and a couple at first base and one in right field or something like that. Uh, so, yeah, the, the – the 45 record that he broke was for, you know, playing most of your games a catcher. I don't know if they define that as 70 or 75%. He's over both those marks uh, as a catcher. Uh, as far as just at the position, is he going to assault Javier Lopez's 43 while actually playing, or I think 42, 42 of his 43 uh, were a catcher? No, he's not going to get that one. Saran Petro from Kansas City. Uh, the Obviously, the, the, the Royals fans haven't had much to cheer about. Is the city getting swept up in the – Salvi Chase? I wouldn't say swept up. I mean, it's it's a reason to keep watching the Royals. I mean, I think there's some great optimism with some of their young players that are on the brink of, of, of landing. MJ Melendez, who's a catcher. They're not sure where they're going to put him. Nick Prado and and um, uh, Bobby Wood Jr. are, like Keith Law called them, maybe the three best prospects in the American League. So, you know, there, there is a lot of excitement that they're going to be able to finish this team off with their own guys. Um, I don't know if they... A lot of fans love the idea that Michael A. Taylor signed on for two more years. I think a lot of people are kind of hoping that there was going to be some big move uh, for more of an all-around center fielder as opposed to just a defense-only guy. But I think there is a feeling that, you know, they, they've got quality players at every position if they can find where they all fit, uh, and that at least position-wise they should be ready to go. They had a lot of good young pitching. A lot of it, you know, took its lumps this year, but they still feel like once they get it figured out that they're going to have a great depth of young pitching. And so this team ought to be back contending. I liken this team to the 2012 team um, that won 72 games. The next year they were above 500. The next year they were in the World Series and losing game seven of the World Series. The year after that, they won the championship, and they're on pace to win about 74 games this year. And I, and I think there's a lot of similarities between those two teams. So back on the Chiefs, as we were talking about, you, uh, you mentioned the defense and their struggles. Uh, obviously they bring in – Josh Gordon as uh, kind of a lottery ticket, I think is uh, is how I would best describe it. Um, if he works out, great. If he doesn't, he didn't have him before, um, and he obviously has a, an incredible amount of talent. But how much of a concern is that third weapon uh, that they really have kind of lacked this year? So, first of all, how dare you call him a lottery ticket? Uh, you know, I, I think he leads the league in yards, touchdowns, receptions <laughs> uh, here moving forward. Uh, and, and, and plus with the Chiefs' excellent track record of signing guys like Le'Veon Bell and LaShawn McCoy and, and having him just do absolutely nothing, why, why would you think that this would go that exact same way? I, I just don't understand where you're coming from there, Adam. Uh, but no, seriously, though, and they've also, there's other guys, too. They've, they've taken shots on other, other high, highly drafted guys that didn't pan out. You know, Mike Hughes is one of them, a former first-round pick. The Vikings is here in the defensive backfield. DeAndre Baker they grabbed last year. He's here former first-round pick of the Giants in the defensive backfield. They tried Cam Irving at left tackle with disastrous results. I don't know how he's playing out of Carolina right now because he's atrocious, but he was a former first-round pick of the Browns. 
uh, Reggie Ragland, a former second round pick of the Bills. Like they like to do this. Like I, I think they love their scouting reports more than they love what these guys have shown in the NFL. This guy's been very good, right? When he plays, I don't think there's any fear about that. If he, if you know, you can knock the rust off, and if there's anything left in the tank, and if there's a desire, and if there's a commitment to doing what it takes to stay on the field, I think he is absolutely what they would want on offense. Like you said, do they need it? I mean, do they need it? Like you know, they can't score thirty a game without him. <laughs> no, they're they're going to be a thirty point a game offense whether they have him or not. But I think when you look at the defense, and I don't see a high-caliber defensive end walking in that door uh, because a lot of us think Chris Jones is going to be moved back to defensive tackle in the next couple of weeks, uh, which means they're going to need a defensive end or at least a, a, a great defensive tackle to leave him at defensive end. I don't see that becoming available, right? So if you can't improve your defense personnel-wise, which we'll see what happens in the trade that Myers Chandler Jones made available, can they make that happen? Now, that's a name that gets thrown around as a wish list thing. But if you can't get better on defense, then you need to be able to outscore people. And I do think he will elevate their offense. He's a guy that can win a jump ball in the end zone, and they were really kind of looking for that. They were hoping they found it in the fifth round with Cornell Powell from Clemson, uh, you know, a 210-pound wide receiver. That's 6'1", and he didn't even make the roster. He's on the practice squad right now, but he couldn't cut it. They've got Jody Fortson, who's been in camp with them for a few years, that finally made the team. They moved him from wide receiver to tight end. He's 6'6". He did catch a touchdown last week and he can go kind of win some of those contested jump balls but he's barely played and he's clearly very raw and he's clearly very undersized uh, as a tight end so you know i think this is the kind of guy they wanted that finds himself at a pinch he could throw up a jump ball and feel like this guy's going to go win it that they can get a guy who can kind of post up in the end zone and then hopefully he can be 80 85 percent of what he was back in the day in cleveland and also run the routes andy reed wants i mean you, you got to do a lot of running in these chiefs offenses and you got to have a lot of endurance, and you and you got to be able to to run. He's going to give you space to get out in the open, and I and I think there's you know going to be different packages that are useful. And I think the feeling is that no, he's not going to come in here and catch a thousand yards. You know, with the time that's going to be left, because I don't think he's going to be on the field for at least two weeks, if if not more. But I think the feeling is that if he can just take some of the defensive backs away, would take away a little bit of the double teaming on Tyree Kill or you know, uh, get a corner off of Travis Kelsey and put a linebacker or safety back on him, uh, that those guys will get better. And I think it also by bumping down McCole Hartman instead of the second-best corner on him, it's the third-best corner or the fourth-best corner if they're, if they're checking Kelsey with a corner. And those plays, you know, the handful of plays that they've got for him where he's been explosive and has quite a few, you know, big-gaining touchdowns. You know, he doesn't, there's no consistency there. He's not winning a jump ball. He's not winning a contested ball. But Andy Reid always finds a way to scheme guys high school wide open, and he'll do that three or four times, if you, especially if you have a bad corner on you. And so I, I think they've looked at the Bucks and their depth of, of receivers and how effective that's been and said, okay, you know, look, just, just by, by forcing the second corner to, to you know, cover Josh Gordon, we get a lot more chances to get McCole Hardman going or Demarcus Robinson going, and we, get, we free up some of those double teams with Tyreek Hill and, and Travis Kelsey. And so I, I – I don't think it's just the, the net gain will be about what Josh Gordon gives them statistically. I think it's how much does he open up the rest of the guys on the offense. So I like to handicap games and look at games more from numbers and analytics and those sorts of things. But I, I am definitely open to a lot of other factors that play into uh, how games are played. And I was wondering one thing about the Chiefs. Like, Do you think maybe that aura that, you know, that being intimidating – to other teams is gone a little bit. Is that playing into 
some of their struggles right now? Because I know, listen, it, I've covered UFC for a long time, and fighting, it's definitely a thing. Somebody is, like, right. unbeatable. You, nobody can touch them. And then all of a sudden, somebody sees them get knocked down. and like, oh, okay, they're human. Yeah. Like, is there a part of that yeah. working? Yeah, uh, yes, I, I think there is. I mean, you know, I, I love your point. You know, Mike Tyson was unbeatable until he got beat, and then he was just another heavyweight, right? Yeah. Uh, or to some degree, at least just another of the top heavyweights. That was out there. Yeah, I, I absolutely think that's the case. I mean, I think the Chiefs need to rattle off five or six wins. They need to punish some people with 40-plus point performances to put the fear back into them. I, you know, I think they did get a bit of a bad run to start the year, too. Now, first of all, everybody saw them get worked over by the, four, uh, by the uh, Bucks in the Super Bowl. And so even though they were pretty impressive in the AFC Championship game against the Buffalo Bills, um, you know, the, the last you know, taste everybody got of the Chiefs was them getting pummeled by the uh, by by Tampa, so I think it starts with that. Then you come back with a Cleveland team and a Baltimore team that are ground and pound teams, and the Chiefs' defense is really built for more traditional offenses. They like to be in the nickel, go quickly to the dime. You know that's the kind of defense they want to play, and they find themselves in that a lot, particularly when their offense gets them from playing out in front. Teams start getting away from the run. You know they're generally not great run teams to begin with, and then they quickly abandon it, become one dimensional, and that kind of plays into the the way the, the Chiefs have built that defense. Well, they opened this year with Cleveland, who pounded away at the run with the running game and isn't what they wanted to see. Followed that up with Baltimore. Baltimore really worked over Chris Jones at defensive end. I mean, he just does not set the edge. He was always kind of a freelancer on, on run defense at uh, the tackle. Put him out on the edge where, you know, he really has to turn things in. He was just crashing down, taking the fakes, and Lamar Jackson was running around him constantly. And so that wasn't a good matchup. Uh, they still almost won that game. And then against the Chargers, like I said, four turnovers. I mean, yeah. you know, Curtis had the stat. You, you, t- you turn it over four times and take it away zero. Uh, in 85 games uh, before uh, this, uh, since 2011, those teams were two and 83. <laughs> and the fact that the Chiefs, you know, off the, with just three of them, were in position to where everybody thought Patrick Mahomes was running on the field in a tie game to go down and win and not just get a field goal, probably get a touchdown and finish off the game. And he throws the pick. You know, it was it was a real punch in the face to them. You know, I mean, they at least still kind of had that aura that if you leave us in the game, you're going to lose. Well, that's now gone as well because they've lost a couple of them close. So they've got a lot of work to do to try to rebuild that. So absolutely, I think that, you know, that bully on the block is, is gone. And I think everybody's ready to stand and, and trade punches. And it's up to them to build that mystique back up. Just two more questions for us from Petra here. One, uh, real quick, Andy Reid, fine. Uh, listen, I'm going to, I'm going to say to be determined, you know, I, the, the chiefs are always kind of play these games and I think it, you know, Andy Reid just doesn't want any information of any kind ever out there. And right. So I think it stems, they, they carry out the wishes of their head coach. And on this one, you know, there were the reports that he was dehydrated. Uh, we had the media session on Monday where Steve Spagnuolo and Eric Bieniemy met with the media instead of Andy Reid afterward. They even gave a statement saying, we've got great news. Coach Reid's out of the hospital. He'll be back at the complex. He's doing great. Thanks for being so humane and, and, and respecting the family's policy. We really appreciate that. Okay, well, that's great. All right, so he said afterwards, okay, you didn't say what was wrong. Can you, can you tell us what was wrong? He said, well, we're going to go with what was said on the podium. I said, nothing was said on the podium. Right. You didn't say what it was. Well, you know, is that them being a drama queen? I don't think that's Andy Reid's style, that, you know, that they're just being a drama queen. But I do think that, you know, there, there's there's an element of, of something more being there. If you're not saying it, you leave people only to speculate that he's worse. And I will tell you, he's 61 years old, like myself. He's not exactly slim. 
And he spent training camp, you know, we could all see it when he was out there wearing surgical hoses on his legs, like circulation socks on his legs. So something's going on there, right? Like that's not what you normally do. And so, you know, that had all of us taking notice in training camp. And then he goes to the hospital, and now you won't give details. can lead you to only believe that it's something more serious than just dehydration. Or why not just say it was dehydration? So, uh, I, I, yeah, to be determined is, is how I would put it. And I, and I think there's a lot of apprehension here uh, right now as to whether or not Andy Reid will, will finish the season. I mean, I'm assuming he will. He was there today. He said he feels great. They really cleared him to go back to work. So I think the signs are encouraging. But we, we watch uh, Tito Francona. You know, there's been a number of different seasons where he's had to leave the team and doesn't come back until the next year. And it, it was a circulatory problem with him. And I'm wondering if, if Andy Reid isn't headed down that same road. And last thing to close you out, we have about a minute left. But uh, is Matt Nagy's criticism unfair or fair? It was a mess last week. Um, it's it, it's un- like he should be criticized, right? Like he's an NFL coach paid to do a job, but it's unfair from the standpoint of the degree it's coming in. I mean, I heard ESPN on Monday, and I thought it was ridiculous. And what you've got are a lot of people that are embarrassed and, and are rooting for their predictions. They said, hey, you need to play Fields. And he said, hey, you know, this is my guy. I'm going with Dalton. And then Fields fell flat on his face. And so it can't possibly be that all the ESPN talking heads were wrong. They've got to find somebody else who screwed it up so they bury Matt Nagy. I told you from the get-go, I don't see it in Justin Fields. Certainly not right now, maybe on down the road. And I think he was taken fourth for a reason. And just because everybody got a fat head and decided, oh, he should go second or third, and how could the Niners not take him, and he's clearly better than Mac Jones. Uh, Maybe he's not. Lots of quarterbacks suck every year. Maybe this guy just doesn't have it for the NFL. Ohio State quarterbacks haven't had success till now. So I don't understand why you carpet bomb Matt Nagy when what a lot of people should have thought, hey, this is a big possibility. This guy's not ready or not good, uh, and you want to just go out and take it out on the coach. There you go. Great stuff. Mr. Sorin Petro, the true superstar of this program. We appreciate it, sir. <laughs> WHB in Kansas City and on the Late Night Happy Hour. Thanks, man. You're the man, Adam. Thanks for having me, buddy. Thank you. Good stuff from Mr. Petro, as always. Don't forget, Coach's Show coming up at Parkway Tavern, 630, down across from the M, south side of the valley. I'll be heading down there. Uh, not that that's a draw, but get down there. Hang out. Marcus Arroyo, uh, Steve Cofield, Caleb Herring, the whole crew in the great spot to hang out at the Parkway. Thanks to the Rampart. Thanks to Brian Blessing, Justin Watkins, uh, Caleb Herring as well. Everybody that came down here, we thank you. Half hour, Coach's Show. The Cofield and Company crew is back tonight at 9 o'clock. It's the Law and Sporter Podcast with Justin Watkins from Battleborn Injury Lawyers.